Welcome back to Pod Hates Louisa, a podcast where I talk about whatever the hell I want. So it's shameful to admit, but I was recently watching a British TV show and they were saying like, God save the queen and stuff. God save the queen. Should I do this entire podcast in a British accent? No, there's no way because it's not even entirely about the British. And also I really don't want to. And this is my podcast and I talk about what I want in the voice that I want. Anyway, these British people were being really patriotic and I was just like, man, it is wild that these people still have like monarchs that they like venerate and almost worship that like reign over them, even if it is only symbolic because it just feels so antiquated. And, I mean, we have to judge America by the same standards, too. Like, we have so many stupid and harmful customs and traditions that have persisted since America's inception. Like, celebrations of genocide, holidays named after colonizers, things that many of the descendants of settlers would consider fun little traditions are actually rooted in racism and colonialism. And we also worship celebrities and form parasocial relationships with them in a similar way to the British with their monarchs. And, of course, I acknowledge that many British people couldn't be arsed about the royal family. I feel like that's what a British person would say. Couldn't be arsed. Just like many Americans don't give a shit about the Kardashians, but the Kardashians still exist and they're still extremely powerful and they live ridiculously opulent lifestyles while many of their subjects are living in abject poverty. So some people not caring about them doesn't really affect them that much. I guess the only difference between the Kardashians and the British royal family is that the Kardashians had to get their fucking ass up and work. Nobody wants to work these days. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I could do a whole episode about the Kardashians denying their obvious privilege, but I'm probably not going to because frankly, I am one of the Americans who doesn't care about the Kardashians at all and I don't want to invest more time and energy in them. And the last thing they need is more attention and exposure. That said, I am kind of fascinated by the fact that monarchy still exists. So I did want to explore that in this episode with a specific focus on the consequences of inbreeding because I'm really interested in genetics and biomedical science in general. So let's get into it. First, I want to go over the countries that still have monarchies. So right now, there are 43 sovereign states with a monarch as head of state, but that doesn't actually mean there are 43 monarchs. And this is because a lot of these countries were former territories of the British Empire and are part of the so-called British Commonwealth, which is such a bullshit term because it creates the impression that the wealth generated by British colonies is shared equitably by the people in those places instead of just going to Her Former Majesty's extravagant hat budget. And on a more serious note, probably covering the legal fees for Prince Andrew's child trafficking lawsuits. But the deeply racist history of British colonial exploitation is the reason that country has prospered while many of the Commonwealth countries, like the Bahamas, Jamaica, and Grenada, were historically denied the fruits of their labor for centuries. King Charles III is the official monarch of like 15 different countries, including Australia, New Zealand, and obviously the UK. And then a lot of European countries are constitutional monarchies like the UK, including the Netherlands, Belgium, Spain, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. Bhutan, Cambodia, Japan, and Thailand also have constitutional monarchies, and the monarchs there mostly serve ceremonial or symbolic purposes. Constitutional monarchy just means there's like a separate government and constitution, and then also a monarch. And then in these weird little places like Liechtenstein and Monaco and Vatican City, the monarchs actually have many of the powers of an absolute monarch still. Absolute monarchy is where the monarch basically gets to 
to decide everything about how the country is governed. The monarchs there can just arbitrarily veto laws and select and fire members of government at will in a lot of cases, which is pretty crazy. And there are still absolute monarchs in Brunei, Oman, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, and the UAE, and also Malaysia and Morocco have monarchs that are like not quite absolute, but pretty close. And there are also a couple countries I didn't mention, but you get the basic idea. But by far the most famous monarchy is the British one. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the British royal family and the ridiculous magnitude of their wealth. The royal family are effectively influencers, and they get paid for contributing to the British economy because their public appearances generate so much money for so many industries. And the monarchy considers itself like a firm or a business, and that business is worth about $28 billion overall. And that comes from both public funds, that's taxpayer money, and private ventures. And a lot of this money is held in the form of assets like stocks and crazy fancy castles and houses and yachts, and then things like the Queen's private stamp collection. And apparently 86.3 million British taxpayer dollars go to the royal family every year. I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's a lot. It's a lot of pounds. And the crown made about $410 million in revenue in 2022. The current king, King Charles III himself, is worth about $750 million, $500 million of which he inherited from the late Queen Elizabeth II. And the craziest thing is that he didn't have to pay the usual 40% inheritance tax because there's a British law that the successor to the crown doesn't have to pay inheritance tax on stuff he inherits from the previous monarch. So like, like if Queen Liz said he could have it, he's the rightful successor to the throne. He just gets it and doesn't have to pay inheritance tax. And another crazy thing is that these people still complain about money problems. Like Prince Philip was quoted as saying, for instance, I'm not going to do his voice. For instance, the queen had a small yacht that she had to sell. And I should probably have to give up polo fairly soon. Okay, sorry guys, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. But it's crazy that he's talking about things like having to sell your small yacht as like significant hardships. Needless to say, the royal family is filthy stinking rich. So rich it's disgusting. They have more money than they could ever possibly need and more than any person should ever have. They could do a lot of really good things with this money and still be completely comfortable, but they probably won't because that would take actual effort and initiative and human compassion, which I'm convinced many of these people lack. Maybe some of them have some cognitive dissonance about the fact that their net worth is built on colonialism and slavery and stolen jewels and various unethical business ventures, but even if they do feel bad, that feeling clearly is not strong enough to drive them to decisive action. And it's just important to recognize how much power and influence these people have that they are not using. They're choosing to let their people suffer, because even if the monarchy boosts certain sectors of the British economy, those benefits don't just perfectly trickle down to the average British taxpayer, and certainly not to the poorest members of the British population. They mostly go into the pockets of the wealthy CEOs and top executives of the companies that are profiting from the monarchy because under capitalism, surplus value gets concentrated at the top, even though the people generating it through their labor are the workers down at the bottom who often get paid like a minimum wage that's not even a living wage. So obviously greed and corruption is one of the major issues with the British monarchy. Another significant issue is this is just an extreme form of like inherited privilege and socioeconomic class being determined by heredity and basically like if you're lucky enough to get born into this specific family you're just magically set for life like no matter how terrible of a person you are even if you are not the right person to have this amount of wealth in your hands you still just get access to it 
and you have all the power in the world just from the circumstances of your birth. So there are a lot of complicated rules for British succession, including the fact that British monarchs can only be Protestants, apparently, because the British monarch is still head of the Church of England, apparently, which dates all the way back to, like, King Henry VIII, who literally just wanted to get a marriage annulled, so he created his own new church. Henry VIII is pretty interesting. Maybe I'll do a podcast on him at some point. But here's a little chunk of the current British line of succession. Let's do the first seven, because seven is my favorite number. Cliche, I know, but I like it. First in line for the throne is Prince William, who is the one married to Kate Middleton. I think he looks a little bit like a beaver. You could probably visualize him. And then his son, Prince George, who was born in 2013, which feels fucked up. Like, truly wild that people with birth dates after 2010 exist. But also the fact that, like, if Prince Charles and Prince William just, if Charles and Prince William happened to die in quick succession, this kid would be the King of England. And, I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of policy like maybe Kate Middleton would rule for him or something, but still seems kind of ridiculous. I know the monarch only has like a ceremonial role now, but it's a little weird to force that on a kid, no? And then third in line for the throne is Princess Charlotte, Prince William's daughter, who is after George because she's younger, but also because she was assigned female at birth, and everyone knows that that makes you less fit to be a monarch, obviously. If she was born first, she would only get the crown if there were no sons. And if Prince George, her older brother, has kids, they get the crown before she would. So, I mean, it's obviously patriarchal, but, like, what else is new? And then fourth in line is Prince William's other kid, Prince Louis, born 2018. Hey, Louis, cool name. Don't know much about him, because he was born in 2018. And then fifth is Prince Harry, whose actual name is Henry, apparently. I guess Harry's a pretty common nickname for Henry, but I never really think about that. And then after him is Prince Archie, his son, who was born in 2019. And then Princess Lilibet, his daughter, who was born in 2021, which is even more crazy. Like, having a birth date in the 2020s is insane. The one thing I'm grateful for is that a lot of the kids on this list have some non-inbred genes because Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle were, as far as I know, not related to other members of the royal family. I actually wonder if Prince Harry is still in the line of succession because he did kind of renounce the royal family, which good for him, I guess, but he's still like uber rich. He and Meghan are living off of his inheritance, basically. They are trying to become financially independent, but you can't act like they had to work their way up. Like, no, they are starting with a cheat code. But anyway, it's good at least that their kids are going to be less inbred because apparently Queen Elizabeth II and her husband, Prince Philip, were both third cousins and second cousins once removed. Family relationships are complicated, but the fact that they had both of those is not a good sign in terms of inbreeding. And then Queen Victoria and her husband Albert were first cousins. Royal inbreeding was a very common practice in the British royal family up until very recently and in most royal families. And the rhetoric behind it is kind of like to keep the bloodline pure, which first of all has very racist implications, and also the idea of a bloodline is ridiculous from a scientific standpoint. I'm sure that's probably based on some kind of historical misconception that like blood was the medium for inheritance, and yes, blood type is genetically inherited and follows the normal Mendelian patterns, but that's about where it ends. Blood is not the medium of genetic inheritance, and your blood cells are constantly replacing themselves anyway, so even if you somehow got all your blood from your parents at birth, you wouldn't actually have any of it pretty soon after being born. And, I mean, everyone's, like, blood composition is slightly different, depending on the interplay of genes and environmental factors. The long and short of it is that marrying your cousin will not result in children with pure blood, whatever that means. Inbreeding has also historically served to keep monarchs within a very high socioeconomic class, so it's racist and also classist, and 
also horrible for human health. And the reason why inbreeding is so bad, besides the kind of fucked up social implications of like maybe having the same like grandmother as your husband, is that it increases the risk of recessive genetic diseases. Like there is a reason for the stigma around inbreeding. Basically a quick crash course in how this works. So the human genome has a certain number of genes and you get one copy of each gene from each parent. A lot of genes have a particular function in the body. Like they provide the recipe for making a certain type of protein, for example. And a lot of diseases are caused by defective copies of genes that don't produce the correct protein or produce like a form of the protein that doesn't work or they have a mutation that doesn't allow them to be correctly transcribed and translated into proteins. And these diseases are rare because often they can be so bad that you literally die from them. And they're usually suppressed in most members of the population because you have to inherit a non-functional copy of the gene from both parents in order to suffer from a disease because usually if you have one functional copy it's still fine like for example if you have sickle cell disease you might have two copies of a defective gene for red blood cells that makes your red blood cells a weird shape and then they can't do their job as red blood cells but if you have one normal copy of the gene for red blood cells and then one like sickle shape copy you might still be able to have a normal life because you have enough regular red blood cells to oxygenate your tissues so the problem arises when there's a lot of inbreeding within families because the risk of rare genetic diseases is amplified and they become a lot less rare really fast and also from a population standpoint not even an individual standpoint less genetic diversity is really bad in general because the world is highly dynamic and a population needs to be able to adapt to whatever the world throws at it and more diversity gives natural selection more raw material to work with and gives a population a greater chance of survival i personally believe that we've kind of like thwarted or hacked natural selection as a species but i can make a whole other episode about that that's a tangent one of the most famous examples of really inbred monarchs throughout history is tutankhamun his parents were siblings he had weak bones a frail immune system and a necrotic left foot which means that basically part of his body was just dying and his weak immune system left him vulnerable to a lot of diseases a lot of people think he had malaria and that might have been what killed him he died of natural causes at 18 depends on what you define as natural causes. Another really famous historical example is the Habsburgs. So this is a family that ruled most of Europe for centuries. Like the scale of their empire was ridiculous. I'm sure they all had a ton of inbreeding, but the Spanish branch between 1500 and 1700 basically bred itself out of existence. Nine out of 11 of the Spanish Habsburg marriages during that time were incestuous. And this all manifested in the last heir to that monarchy, Charles II of Spain, being infertile with only one testicle, which coincidentally is called monarchism, which sounds like monarchism, so that's kind of funny. He also had hydrocephalus, which is when cerebrospinal fluid builds up in the brain, and that can cause severe brain damage if left untreated. And he also had the characteristic Habsburg jaw, which was an extremely enlarged chin and severe underbite that made it very difficult for him to speak and eat properly. He also had a tongue that was really big for some reason, which also contributed to his issues with speaking and he died at age 39. Another royal dynasty with a lot of inbreeding was the Romanovs. They were the Russian royal family until the Bolshevik Revolution. In particular, I think a lot of them had hemophilia, which is a disorder in which the blood does not clot properly, and it's extremely dangerous because that means that you can bleed out from even really small injuries. Within the British monarchy, there's also a lot of hemophilia, like Queen Victoria and Prince Albert's son Leopold actually died at the age of 31 from complications from his hemophilia, and Prince Philip, who died in 2021, he was the one who looked like an absolute zombie.
zombie. He's actually related to the Romanovs, so there are still hemophilia genes in the British royal family just floating around because of inbreeding on both sides. Basically, not all monarchies are inbred, but most of them are, and I just think that in general, monarchy is a stupid and awful system that should be abolished because it's hierarchical, it's racist, it's antiquated, and it's also a colossal waste of taxpayer money, and I also obviously think that that wealth should just be redistributed to people who actually need it, instead of funding the royals like ridiculous hats and polo addiction and afternoon tea and whatever the fuck else it's going to. In conclusion, monarchy sucks, but the history around it is pretty interesting and I hope you enjoyed listening, and I will talk to you next week. Louisa Miller out.